we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. If you're joining us online, thank you for being here. And if you happen to be here for the first time, uh, thank you for choosing to spend your Sunday with us. Where we've been the past couple of weeks, we've been in this uh, season of, of understanding what does it mean to be rooted in the ways of Jesus. And every week, we've been looking at a different area. And that first week was all about following and how this idea of, of following Jesus, sometimes the cost can be pretty high, but the, the cost of not following Jesus is actually much higher. And then two weeks ago, we learned about the, the word prayer and how Jesus teaches us how to pray and how it can be a part of our daily life. And then last week, we talked about the word honor and how, uh, how do we honor our parents, even for you know, some of us who have parents that maybe aren't that honorable. Today, our word is add. What does it mean to add in this faith community? How is that connected to rooted? And we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 as we do that. So go ahead and go there. And as you do that, I want to show you, since we're talking about Adam, I want to show you a little bit about what that word can look like. I got a photo of me and my brothers from a week ago. And my brother Mark, there in the middle... <laughs> At the tender age of 44, decided he was finally old enough to get married. <laughs> and so uh, I had the privilege of being the minister for the day, and I got to, to uh, help them say their vows. And there was, the day was, it was emotionally rich. There was so much about that day that I just had so much fun. But we added into our family a really awesome sister into the mix. And so we're very excited for Mark and Carrie in this journey that they are beginning together. So here we are in the book of Acts. And if you're, if you're new to this faith journey and, you, and when you look at the Bible, you open it up, you, you have more questions than, than you do answers. Just to give you a little snapshot of where we are here in Acts 2, this is a critical part for the people in the life of the church. So at this point, Jesus, he's resurrected and he's ascended into heaven and now the disciples, the apostles, they've got to figure out how to keep the movement going forward, what to do next. See, the things that we do here in the life of the church, I think we take some of these things for granted, that it was always this way. Well, for the, for the apostles, there, there wasn't really a model for them to follow. They didn't have something to look at. They, they still considered themselves part of the Jewish faith tradition, but this experience with Jesus, it was the ultimate changer for them. It changed everything for them. And so now Jesus has left them. He sent the Holy Spirit to strengthen them, to bind them together. But now they've got to do the work of figuring out what does it mean to follow Jesus in this way. You see, we think about following Jesus, we think about it in a certain way. But for a lot of these people, to follow Jesus, all they ever knew, it, that was a very literal thing that they did because he was with them. If Jesus went over here, they went over here. If Jesus went over there, they went over there. If Jesus did this, they did this. They just, they literally did the things that he did that they saw him do. And for the first time, following Jesus is no longer a literal thing for them to do. And they've got to figure that out. 
And so here we are. This, this is what they did. I'm going to pick up there verse 42 in Acts chapter 2. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So these people, they're, they're not sure what to do next. They figure a few things out quickly. What does it say? They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They were hungry. They were hungry to learn more about following Jesus, and they wanted to do it together. They, they went to the temple together every week. During the week, they met together in their homes. See, there was a lot they didn't know yet, but the one thing they figured out was this. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I ain't doing it alone. I need to be in community. I need to be with other believers so that we can learn what does it mean to follow Jesus, so we can strengthen each other, so that the joy of Jesus can be experienced in a faith community. And that's what they did. And it says, and day by day, Jesus added to their numbers. And so that's what, that's what I want to do today. I want us to unpack that word add. What does it mean to add? How is Jesus adding to our faith community? And if Jesus is doing that, how do we participate? How do we join? Because we, we tend to think about that word add in, in very simple terms. And so I want us to kind of open that word up a little bit and, and see what's there. So that's what we're going to do in your notes. What does it mean to add to our community of faith? Number one, add voices to the conversation. Now, most of us would say, well, yeah, of course, sure. More voices in the conversation, sure, why not? That's a, that's a good thing. We want more voices until... One of those voices says something that we don't agree with. <laughs> then maybe it's not such a good thing, right? Like more voices, yes, but not that voice. <laughs> I don't want I don't want to hear that thing. Maybe what we really mean is this. We want more voices, but what we want is more voices that are saying the same thing. Maybe what, what we really want is an echo chamber, the, the opportunity to amplify one thought, one opinion. But that's not what this looks like. That's not what a true, authentic faith community of Jesus' followers looks like. See, adding voices to the conversation, it means it's willing to risk what I think so that another voice can be heard. And I think that's maybe why we resist out of this fear that something that we think might be challenged or an idea or a thought, that we might have to rethink something that we thought we already knew. But some of the, some of the uh, biggest breakthroughs, they happen when we, can, when we can struggle with each other. We can handle differences of opinion, different voices. Look, I want to point something out just so we're clear. 41-year-old me does not agree 100% with 30-year-old me. I don't. And 50-year-old and me is probably not going to agree with 41-year-old me. So if I can't agree with myself completely over the years, why on earth would I put that expectation onto anybody else? Why would I do that? 
So if this is you, if you struggle when you hear a difference of opinion, when you hear somebody say something about the faith that you don't agree with and you, and you shut down, I want you to know you're in good company because that actually happens in the text. Quickly, I want to take you through a story. In Acts 13, you got Paul and Barnabas and John Mark doing some missionary work together. There in verse 13, it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and to Perga and Pamphylia. And John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. So those three, they had done some really cool things together, accomplished some really cool things. But along the way, and we don't know for sure why, we think maybe John Mark got homesick. He abandons the missionary journey and he goes home. He goes back to Jerusalem. Paul's not happy about that at all. Well, next part of the story, in chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas are going to go on another missionary journey, and Barnabas wants to get John Mark back into the mix, get him back into the missionary game. And so he wants to invite him back. Paul doesn't agree. Paul says, no, John Mark abandoned us. He left us high and dry. He's not coming. And there in verse 39, it says this, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took John Mark with him, and they sailed away to Cyprus. So Paul and Barnabas, two spiritual giants in our faith tradition, they have, they have one disagreement, one difference of opinion, one place where they can't see eye to eye, and it's a deal breaker. And they separate, and they go their separate ways. But that's not the end of the story. At the end of Paul's life, He's in a Roman prison, and he's writing a letter to his protege, Timothy. And he knows he's, he's nearing the end of his journey. He knows there's a decent chance that he's not getting out of that prison. And so as he's writing this letter to Timothy, in chapter 4, verse 11, this is what he says. He says, Luke alone is with me. Go get John Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for my ministry. Do you catch that? The, the, the very person that was the reason why Paul and Barnabas separated, they couldn't get along, they couldn't see eye to eye about this one guy, is the same guy that at the end of Paul's life is telling Timothy, go get John Mark, you're going to need him. He's very useful to me in my ministry. Do, do you see that? I'm curious, what, what sort of things could Paul and Barnabas have accomplished if they would have just stayed together, if they hadn't allowed this one difference of opinion to break them apart. You see, when we, when we can struggle through differences of opinion, different things start to happen. And while we're talking about that, while we're talking about adding voices to the conversation, how about this voice? Let it go for a little bit. Don't raise your hand. But I want you to be honest with yourself. How many of you in the house, when you hear that, you get a little frustrated? Or how about this? How many of you parents of littles, when your littles start to do this, what do you do? You, you start to get embarrassed. 
You feel like all the eyes are looking at you and you're, you, you get really upset. This sound is nothing to apologize for. You know what I hear when I hear this sound? I hear that God is in this place. And apparently the lights are not. <laughs> you know what scares me though? You know what frustrates me is if I go into a place of worship and I don't hear that sound. I don't hear the cries. I don't hear the littles. That frustrates me because as long as I'm hearing that, I know something. I know that the presence of God is in this place. I know that God is continuing to bring life into this place. I know that God is preparing us for the future of the church through these sweet little voices because their voices matter. Recently, I was out in the, uh, in the crossing, and my friend Megan, she, she had uh, her niece with her, her niece, and her niece just wasn't, wasn't having it that day. She was just crying, throwing a fit, and Megan looks up at me and says, I'm so sorry. She just, she wouldn't, she wasn't having it today, and I was like, there's no reason to apologize. There, there's just, there's no need for that, and uh, as I'm talking to her, I had this thought, and my thought was this. I just want you to imagine how different how different would our world be if every one of us chose to deal with our discomfort in that way? <laughs> I'm just going to keep plowing through, guys. Y'all, I know y'all got your hands full. Hey, our lighting guys are working really hard to work with things. Thank you guys for working. <laughs> But my thought was this, how different would our world be if we handled our discomfort in that same way as the baby did? If instead of getting passive-aggressive on social media, if we just sat there and cried for a little bit? Or if instead of causing harm to somebody? Or making a life-altering choice? If instead of doing that, all we did was we just sat there and we cried. How different would our world be? How much better would our world be? I'll let you consider that. But when we do this, when we can add voices into the mix, voices that are saying things that, are, that believe very differently than us, or voices that maybe cry at inopportune times, when we can do that, God adds to our faith community in another way. And that's this number two. He adds ideas to what we do. And this might be one of the reasons why we struggle with adding voices into the conversation. Because, look, many of us, maybe all of us, we, 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 we have a way of getting things done. Like how they should be done. And don't you dare change how things are done. Don't do it. You see, that, that word religion, it, it, it's kind of become a taboo word in spiritual circles. People say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And the people in the faith community, they'll even say, you know, I really don't have a place for religion in my world. Here's the deal. Religion's not a bad thing. It's not. It's just all religion is, it's a format. It's a way of getting things done. That's all it is. It creates tradition. And tradition is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with tradition until it gets in the way of the relationship. When it hinders the relationship, then it becomes a bad thing. Like, when we 
do communion differently or we set up the chairs differently or heaven forbid somebody sitting in my chair <laughs> I've said this a number of times here and you've heard it from other people too we believe in relationships over religion it doesn't mean that religion's a bad thing it's not inherently evil but when it gets in the way of relationship the power structure gets, unver it gets inverted. You see, the, the relationship wasn't made for religion. Religion was made for the relationship. Humanity wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for humanity. But I get it. I get it. I understand because I'm a creature of habit. I like my rhythms. I like, I like my routines. They're like my little security blankets. I, I, I love them. And if you, if you talk to my family... You ask them, the quickest way to get under my skin is if you mess with my rhythm, because I don't like it. <laughs> I get up in the morning before anybody else does, and I have my quiet time. And if somebody else is awake in my household and they're making noise during my quiet time, I don't like it. I got a place in my house where I sit down and I have my quiet time, and if my son was there the night before and he, and he didn't clean up after himself, I don't like it. Ask anybody that I work with. There's a number of them here. Ask them what happens to me the moment a meeting goes one minute longer than it was suggested. I don't like it. My name is Chris. I am a ritualaholic. <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, it's okay to have these comfortable rhythms. But the challenge is this. You need to understand there's a difference between having a comfortable relationship and a meaningful relationship. Because you see, sometimes comfort and meaning, they'll coexist. Sometimes they will. But sometimes the meaningful relationship will require us to take our comfortable rhythms, our religions, our traditions, our structures, the way things are done, our golden cows, and lay them down at the foot of the altar. You see, that's what a, that's what a relationship with Jesus will do. If you, if you want to know if you're in a, in a convenient relationship or a meaningful relationship with Jesus, ask yourself this, does this relationship ever make me feel uncomfortable? And if it doesn't, I would suggest you're probably not in a meaningful relationship because Jesus, this is what he does. He takes your rhythms, your ideas, where you think you're going in life, and he flips it on its head. I had a rhythm for my life. I knew exactly what I was going to do from an early age, that from the moment I picked up the guitar, I knew I was going to be a guitarist for the rest of my life, and that was going to be my career path. I was going to study guitar, I was going to go to college, get a music degree, graduate, start playing in bands, start playing anywhere I could find, get into studios and do everything that I could to make that my life. And along the way, I took a job at a church, and the next thing I know, I'm in seminary. That's what a relationship with Jesus does. You think you're going here. And he says, well, what, what about over here? Let's go, let's go check this path out. You see, this is why the religious people of Jesus' day is why they hated him the way that they did. Because it seemed like they, 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 had, they had a way of getting things done. And it seemed like every day he was messing with their rhythms. He was taking their structures and turning it on its head. But here's the deal. Jesus wasn't doing that just to mess with them. That's not why he was doing it. You weren't, you weren't supposed to embrace somebody with leprosy, but Jesus changed the rule when it got in the way of the relationship. You weren't supposed to travel through Samaria, but Jesus changed the rule when it got in the way of the relationship. You weren't supposed to heal on the Sabbath, but Jesus changed the rule 
when it got in the way of the relationship. Church, the fact that I'm standing here right now saying the things that I'm saying happened because Jesus changed the rule when it got in the way. And for every one of us, every time we raise our hands and praise to God, every prayer that we pray, we're doing it because Jesus changed a rule when it got in the way. You understand? Some of the best things happen when we change rules. There was a time that this book was only written in Latin. Thanks be to God, somebody changed that rule. There was a time where to be able to come up here and speak and say things, you had to be a man. But if you've, if you've heard my friends Judy or Cheyenne teach, thanks be to God, somebody changed that rule. You see, a rule is only as good as the purpose that it's intended to serve. And the moment it gets in the way of the relationship, it's time to change the rule. The question for you is this. Which one am I more committed to following? Am I committed to following Jesus or am I committed to following a rule? Which one? Which is it? You see, following Jesus, being rooted in Jesus, it means that every day we willingly take our rules, our structures, our religious ideas, our traditions, everything that we know to be in a church community. We take it and we look at the cross and we ask ourselves, is this still the best way to get people to the cross? Is this still the best way to make more room for people at the table? And if it's not, we change the rule. When I began seminary in 2014, I had a conversation with Rick, and he, and he said, Chris, this is what will help you in your seminary journey. What you want to do is to figure out what are your theological pillars, what are the, your non-negotiables in your faith that you, you've got to hold on to. <clears throat> and if you can do that, <clears throat> then you can take everything else and throw it up on the theological chopping block. And if you're willing to do that, then when you graduate, when you finish seminary, what you're going to have is a solid theological structure that's been tested through the fire. And he was right, and that's what I did. I figured out what my two, my two pillars were, and the first one is 1 John 4, God is love. And the second pillar was this, Romans 8, nothing can separate me from that love. And as long as I've got those two things that I'm holding on to, it keeps me grounded and it allows me to engage in conversation with people who say and believe and think very different things than me about my faith tradition. And I'm okay with that. See, the, the, the greatness of God gets unleashed when we're comfortable listening to different voices and adding new ideas into what we do. I would suggest it is the epitome of arrogance for us to presume that we've exhausted all the ideas that an almighty, infinite, all-creating God has in store for us. I cannot wait to see what new ideas we're going to find out just around the bend. When we do this, when we can add voices, we can add ideas, we're comfortable in, in disagreement. We do all of these things. Another thing gets added, and this could be the most important thing that I hope you hear from me today is this. Number three, we add value to others. And this is at the heart of the gospel. For God so loved the world. Why, why did he send Jesus? Because he loved the world. Every, every bit, every beating heart, 
He sent Jesus into the world to add value into the world. Why did Jesus send the disciples? Why? To add value into the world. One of the last things Jesus says to his disciples in, in Matthew 28, he says, go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. See, God has always been about, and Jesus has always been about, and the Holy Spirit has always been about adding value into the world. God creates life. He adds value. He breathes life into us. He adds value. He sends Jesus into the world so we understand love. He adds value. He sends the Holy Spirit to keep us together. He adds value. God consistently adds value. The struggle, it seems, is on our end. Our ability to see what God is up to. But if you follow through the Bible, you find time and time again where where God creates these conversion experiences for people. In Acts 7, we read about the, this, uh, the execution of Stephen. Stephen was a follower of Jesus. You see, at this point, the Jews, they, didn't, they couldn't understand how you could be a faithful Jew and follow Jesus. Those were mutually exclusive. You couldn't do both. And so there in verse 58, we, we read, this is about Stephen. It says, then they cast Stephen out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses, they laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And at the beginning of chapter 8, we read that Saul approved of this execution. And the rest of chapter 8, it talks about how, how Saul would ravage all of the followers of Jesus. Because for Saul, you couldn't be a faithful Jew and follow Jesus. And so if you follow Jesus, you deserve to die. And so that was his journey. But then in chapter 9, Saul has another experience that changes everything for him there on the road to Damascus at verse 3. It says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And immediately... Saul loses his sight. He becomes blind, and he's got to find his way into town. And when he does, he comes upon Ananias, a follower of Jesus, who takes Saul in and through the work of Jesus is able to restore his sight. And for the first time, Saul is able to see, not just what's around him, but he's able to see what God is up to. He's able to see that the fence that he had put up that said, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can't be a faithful Jew, that that fence had to be tore down. And then he becomes one of the most important followers of Jesus. And then there's another conversion experience in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council. So, like I said, there was a time where they believed if you were a faithful Jew, you couldn't follow Jesus. Well, now at this point, the belief was this. Only faithful Jews could follow Jesus. If you were Greek, if you were Roman, if you were Gentile, this Jesus thing's probably not for you. If you want to follow Jesus first, you need to become a Jew. But then Peter, he has this experience. He, he sees the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit, and it completely shakes everything he knows and thinks about his faith tradition. And so he and Paul and Barnabas, they go to the Jerusalem council. There in verse 7, Peter speaks. 
says, Peter stood up to them and said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. And then Paul and Barnabas begin telling these stories to the council, say, hey, if you just get outside of these walls, if you go engage with people who look very different from you, who believe very different from you, you're going to see the crazy love that Jesus has for everybody. And the fence that had been put up that said only faithful Jews can come in, that fence was tore down. And it was tore down because some followers of Jesus went to places beyond their faith tradition. And they met people totally different from them, people that said very, very different things, and they were shocked and surprised to find the same love of God in them. You see, we make a mistake when we think the thing that binds us, the thing that unifies us, that keeps us together, is the fact that we're all saying the same thing, that we all believe the same thing, that we all have the same thoughts, ideas, opinions. That's what's binding us. No, that's not what binds us. What keeps us together is that despite our differences of opinion, despite all the differences and the things that we think and we believe, we all have the same need of the grace and the mercy of God. That's what unites us together. That's what keeps us together. So the question for you is this. What fences do you have up? What are the fences that you put up that, that keep people away? The ones that, that you think, no, not getting in. You can't come in. What are they? Remember, there was a time when to be a faithful Jew meant you absolutely cannot follow Jesus. And then there was a time where only faithful Jews could follow Jesus. There seems to be two consistent themes that pop out over the course of humanity. The first is this. God consistently loves us. And the second theme is this. We consistently put up fences on where that love can go. What are your fences? You want to know how to get better at this? And trust me, we all do. Every one of us needs to get better at this. When you find yourself asking questions like who can come in or who's getting in, that's a question I hear a lot. When you hear that question, we start asking that question, you remind yourself, wait a minute, I'm not God. I don't get to ask that question. That's not the question I should be asking. And instead, you start having conversations like this. Hey, God, there's this person or there's these people, and I just can't understand them. I can't see in them, what you must see. I don't know how you could love them, but your word is clear. I see it. I know that you love them. You're sustaining them the way you sustain me. You're filling their lungs with air the same as you do me, so you must love them the way you love me. What am I missing? What do I not see when I look at them, God? God, can you teach me how you want me to love them? Show me how to love somebody. That, show me how to accept somebody that I'm not yet fully ready to approve because, God, I know that you accepted me before you could have ever approved of anything I was doing. How do I do that, God? See, we have, we have at least two conversion experiences in life. And the first we talk about, we know about. And that first conversion experience is that moment when we realize 
We become aware, and it blows us away, this idea that God loves us. No matter what, God loves us. That's our first conversion. But then the second conversion is this, that moment that we realize that God loves them too. I know a lot of people that have experienced that first conversion, but they haven't quite yet made it to the second. Luke 15 is a passage that that we know well. We talk about it all the time. We sing about it all the time. And so my question for all of us is this. How can we sing about a God, sing about a Savior that we call the Good Shepherd, the one who leaves the 99 to go get the one, about that one over there? How can we say we follow him and in the same voice turn to somebody else and say, no, you can't come in? How do we do that? You see, being a follower of Jesus, it means this. It means when you sing about Jesus leaving the 99 to go get the one, if you're truly following Jesus, it means this. Sometimes when you sing that song, you imagine that one that he's going after isn't you. You imagine that it's somebody else. And not only that, you imagine he's going after that one person that you just cannot understand, that you can't stand. That's the one that Jesus is going after. Being rooted in Jesus, following Jesus, means that in that moment when he's going after that one, guess what you're doing? You're leaving the 99 as well. It becomes the 98 because you're going with him. And along the way, you're tearing down every fence that gets in the way. And instead of fences, you start carving out paths so people can find their way to the table. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Being rooted in Jesus is this idea that if you do it long enough, those roots will grow deeper and deeper and deeper that eventually a flower is going to bloom above the ground. That somehow the world is just a little bit more beautiful because of the roots that you have in Jesus. That somehow through that relationship between you and Jesus, value is added Life is added into the world. This is what it means to be rooted in Jesus. This is what it means to add value, to add life, to add beauty into the world. That is at the heart of the gospel. Adding life, speaking life, speaking love into people. That's what it means. So I want to invite you now, before we leave this place, I want to invite you just to take a moment and be in a, a spirit and a posture of prayer and ha- just have some time with God. And I, I, I ask you, be honest in these questions and this reflection. I should ask God, hey God, how, how good am I at listening to other voices? How good am I at Staying in conversation with someone in the moment that they're saying something that scandalizes something that I think or I believe. God, how good am I in those moments? Would you make me better? And God, how open am I really to new ideas? Or God, is there, are there certain things that I do within my, my faith tradition that... I put above people, that I put above serving others. What are those things, God, that I have put in front of the mission that you've called me to? What are they? God, would you reveal that to me now? 
And God, I know that I want to add value into the world. That's why I started following Jesus in the first place. But God, who are those people that I put on the other side of the fence? Who are they? That I hesitate when I think about adding value. Like, God, can you send somebody else? Keep me over here. Go send somebody else to go serve them. Who are those people? Because those are the very people God is sending you to go serve. Father God, we thank you that you were so patient with us. We don't get it. We mess up. We don't pay attention to what you're up to, but you stay with us. Your commitment to us isn't based on what we think or believe. That you are committed to us because we are your children and that you love us that way. That you love us into right, right relationship with you, not the other way. So God, thank you for being patient and showing us this kind of love. And Father, I pray that somehow because of that experience with you, that that changes, that transforms the way that we view the others, the not like us, the wrong beliefs, the wrong ideas, the wrong theologies. Father, transform our hearts so that we can see them, we can engage with them. And find ways to love those that we don't want to love. So that when the world sees us, they see how we stay together no matter what. That no matter what the disagreement, no matter what the dispute, no matter what, we still hold on to the fact that we all need you. That that keeps us together. And when the world sees it, they say, wow, that should not be. That should not be a thing. Y'all shouldn't be together, but yet we are because of you. And the world sees that they understand more and more about how you, how you could love us. Father, I pray that as we leave this place because of something that you've done today, as we all go out into the world, that maybe just a, a few more flowers pop up above the ground that people see and they recognize that you because of your love. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.